0: Hey, I'm Sassnacks. It's Chelsea back for another episode of the Sassnack Files. This week, I was live on my private Facebook page, TSF of SassNacks, to celebrate the 100th episode of the SassNack Files. But before we get into that, I want to take a moment to remind you that you can find the SassNack Files on all sorts of listening platforms, including iTunes, Castbox, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and many more. Also, if you have not had a chance yet, make sure you head over to Follow the SassNack Files on both Facebook and Instagram to make sure you are up. to date on all of the latest and greatest news concerning Outlander season seven and eight and anything Diana Gabaldon cooks up. And with all of that out of the way, let's get into my analysis of the Gabaldonian time travel theory with my good friend, Angela Hickey. Enjoy. Some announcements before we get started. I have officially finished my reread of Clanlands, so I'm ready to get going with Men in Kilts. Next week, I will post the podcast version of the live that I did on the teaser trailer for season seven, and then the week after that, I'm off because I'm going to be out of town, and then the week after that, I start my Men in Kilts episodes so hopefully that will get us through until we start really getting some heavy Season 7 content with the opening credits stuff and the actual trailer, all of that stuff, maybe some more casting announcements. So really excited to kind of start that phase of the Sassanac Files. Um, now that I'm done with reading Clanlands, I hope to get going on the next phase of the Celtic Brooch Droughtlander Book Club and so that will be the Broken brooch. So be looking for an event notice on that. I'm thinking it's probably going to be about the midway point of Men and Kilts. I'm going to take a break from that and do another Droughtlander Book Club and then pick back up with the rest of the season. So that's kind of my plan moving forward. And I hope you guys can join me. And now I'm going to bring Angela on so that we can get this shindig started.
1: Happy 100th show, Chelsea. So, yeah, so I really love this topic. I think you picked a great one for your 100th show. Basically, we're taking a comprehensive look
0: at all the material that has been provided throughout the Outliner universe to kind of give you guys a synopsis on how this all works as we know it to work at this point in time.
1: And some of it will be straight up we know, and some of it will be educated guesses, and some of it will be theory theories, Mm -hmm. you know? Some of it will be like theory, but we're pretty sure this is what it is, you know? And some of it will be theory like, this seems like it would really fit, and I really love this idea, and this is how I'm thinking it's working, but it could be not that, you know, type of thing. So we're going to give you a few different thoughts, because you know me, I love my theories.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And we'll try to make sure to, since there's going to be a big variation on the types of things that we're sharing, we'll try to point out to you guys, like, this is just my theory, or Diana said this, or whatever. So you guys know the degree of truthfulness to the comment. (laughs) So first topic of discussion is kind of just a loose topic of differences between the books, time travel and the show. And I feel like most of the stuff that we know about time travel in the Gabaldonian universe at this point is from the books. They haven't touched on it too much beyond the basics in the show. So it's hard to say what exactly the rules will be and the discoveries that will be made in later seasons. But we do know a couple of things that the show is going with. So what do you think is the most key differences, I guess, between book
1: time travel and show time travel? Okay. So I have three things. One thing is just a straight up change of the rule on the show than what it is in the books. And two things are things that it's not that they've said it's different in the show, but they have not shown it at all. It leads people that don't, know anything but the show to kind of think something that isn't so or you know don't know that this is so basically because it's not addressed and so they assume like differently so i'll explain that what i mean so the first thing is gemstones That's the thing that they've straight up kind of changed on the show, because on the show, you have to have a gemstone to travel. They've kind of put that in line so that everybody that traveled, including Claire, uses gemstones. It's kind of like you need to have a gemstone type of thing. And that's not that's not so at all in the books. You know, In the books, you want to have a gemstone if you can, because it helps promote safety. It helps absorb excess energy. And some other things we'll talk about, you know, when we get to that category. But people have traveled without gemstones. Accidental travelers travel without the gemstones. Claire has traveled without the gemstones. Buck initially travels without a gemstone. It's not like a must-have in the books, you know what I mean? And that's important because basically in the show, if like Claire's a time traveler, if she walked up to a, a stone and hit it and she wasn't having a gemstone, according to the rules of the show, she wouldn't go anywhere. That's not true. You know, So that's a big difference. These are the things that they don't point up that's important. They don't point up that you can't travel at the same time in your own lifeline, which is a rule in time travel. They haven't shown that. They had it in there to show with Roger being kicked back out because he thought of a time zone that he went and they cut it. (laughs) And they have never mentioned anything like that. They've never mentioned anything along that line to show that you can't do that. So they need to show that because it's kind of important. People don't know that. I Because I asked my husband all these just to kind of make sure I wasn't assuming that people don't know things that they don't know. And I was correct on this. So that's why I want to just mention it. The other thing is they don't really overly stress the dangers of the stones. You know, like how you can die in traveling. No one that has not been pointed up at all on the show. When they talked about the Top 5 and they wrote from the journal, They read such a brief part, they never, and and when she talked to Donner, that didn't come up there either. So you never heard people didn't make it in the montauk vibe. you never heard the part read from Gayless's journal that there's been dead bodies found around and some people don't make it and all that kind of stuff so you don't really get that sense you don't get the sense of how dangerous and how much it makes you sick and all of that horrificness of it because my husband and i've heard of this from a few show people have said you know why didn't claire just jump back check come back like they think of it more like it's no biggie and it's <clears throat> important to know that because there needs to be a weight of a date like if there's no consequence. You know what I mean? If there's no danger to it, then why isn't everybody just keep checking and making sure shit turned out the way they thought? And you know what I mean? <laughs> there has to be a danger to it or a consequence that could happen. And this is also important with the season coming up because that's something they'll weigh in as they have to travel back. There's a fear of that. You know, are they going to make it? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So those are some things. Yeah, people don't haven't heard of people dying. They really don't show the horror of the stones that much. You don't see people like knocked out, disorientated, throwing up and all that other kind of stuff. Yep. You know, you don't see all of that. Um, you don't see them describe it in those terms, the way you get the internal descriptions in the book of mm-hmm. how horrific it was and how they heard people screaming and they all the other stuff yep. that you hear. So they just kind of touch it and boom, they wake up and it's just like, oh, you know, I'm in a meadow <laughs> and all things are just rainbows and sunshine and yep. shake their heads. Oh, wow. You don't see people having heart attacks. So hopefully they'll show that. But yeah. um, with the whole thing with uh, Buck. So you don't see any of that physicality of it. So those are the main differences <laughs> I saw. I don't know if you see any others that you want to point out. But those are the ones I saw. I think that
0: the primary thing with the show versus the books is they haven't put the, the details in. And I don't know if that's something that they just don't plan to do or if they're going to touch on it in season seven because there is a lot of opportunity for them to talk about Mm -hmm. it in season seven if they choose to do so Mm -hmm. so I wonder if it's going to come up surrounding you know when the Macs go back and when they meet Buck and because we'll also run into Donner again and they'll have opportunity to talk about them on talk five as well so it does make me wonder if that is going to be some topic of conversation in the seventh season but yeah I would 100% agree with the fact that they don't make it seem as dangerous as it actually is in the book portion of the universe, I guess. The only thing that they really mention is when Claire first goes back with the the car crash analogy. They did do, now that I think about it, because I'm actually, I started my rewatch. Mm -hmm. When Jamie takes Claire back to the stones in The Devil's Mark, I don't think she has a gemstone. But they don't really do the whole, like, in the book, she was almost disappearing and he pulled her back from the stones, which I don't know how they could have done that in the show without some really wonky special effects.
1: Yeah, and she didn't have a gemstone then. So right. but she so did hear was... the stones. She did yes. hear them.
0: But it's not like super in your face, like this is what this means. Mm-hmm. These are the implications. So it's hard for people, I think, to connect those dots because they don't really know what that means. Mm-hmm.
1: Tony and some other person, or definitely I heard Tony say that they don't like to really make it the, the, they don't like to focus on the supernatural they ron. see the time travel it was ron more he remember tony said it because she's like we're not yeah, a supernatural does. show mm-hmm. you know which yeah you are right. kind of to some extent <laughs> but we're not a supernatural show we just use the time travel to as a way to get into the show but then we, like that's right. not really what it's about uh and i remember thinking when she said that i'm thinking oh lady you know that only gets more so as you go <laughs> with Yeah, the exactly. In the back mojo and the whole thing right. you know so you're not going to escape it forever. You're going to eventually have to tap into it. So they don't really want to get into all right. that. You know, I think it's what the deal is. It's just difficult because when when you look at it
0: and you've read the books and you see how critical it is to the story that's laid out in front of you on the page, you're like, but we need this. But then mm-hmm. when you're looking at it from their perspective and they're like, well, if the audience never knows it exists, what are they really missing? You know, so it's mm-hmm. like it's so hard. I feel like because I think it needs to be on there in there and I think that 90 percent of book readers think it needs to be in there but
1: um when she Claire, which is interesting about Claire never has bad effects either so she must be I think a little more of a potent traveler she doesn't have heart attacks and Mm -hmm. other things and issues and she's done it multiple times matter of fact Galus is blown away that she hasn't had any problems you know Mm when she's like you did all this with nothing yeah and you know you never had a problem (laughs) She's yeah, like, no, I just wait. It's crazy.
0: I don't know. Those are like the key differences between the show and the books. And now from from here on, we're pretty much going to be talking about the books and everything that we can glean from the big books, the novellas, interviews that Diana has given and comments that she's made, things like that, to give you... A better idea if you are a show watcher and you decided to hang out because you don't mind spoilers. This will give you a better idea of the world and the mythology that they're, we're dealing with and how we see it in the show through the lens of a book reader. The first thing that I want to mention, this is kind of an opening quote about the passing of time and kind of Diana's initial thoughts on time travel while she was writing outlander before she really gathered a broader perspective of what this world and this time travel that she's created is about because she's she'll be the first to tell you she's kind of learning with us as the characters learn things so her perspective on things change is that a good way to put it i mean i think by now she has a pretty good grasp oh, yeah, on it knows, but especially she knows
1: she knows at this point for sure yeah. her whole deal she just said they don't know right like if she's letting them discover things as they normally would.
0: But in the beginning, especially those first few books, the technicalities of it all, I guess, kind of, she realized, oh, well, that's why this is the way that it is. Yeah, in
1: the beginning, Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Which is when this was kind of put together, I'm guessing, because this is talking about Outlander and how she created things and how she thought things worked initially. (laughs) So this is what she had to say. The initial question was, why do you have Outlander start in the 1940s rather than present day? And then it kind of morphs into a much deeper answer. It was clear to me that at some point, Claire would come back to the future. And I had decided that time moves linearly no matter where you are in it. If you leave from point A and spend X amount of time living in the past before returning, you'll return to A plus X. I didn't want to have to go into my future in order to write Claire's future, that is. I didn't want to be dealing with the problems both of historical and futuristic novels simultaneously. In the beginning, when I was still playing with the time travel notion, I hypothesized that the time passage in the stones might be open only in or near periods of violence, when their appearances and disappearances were less likely to be noticed. Mm. I later decided that it made more sense for time passages to be geomagnetic in nature, and thus they were affected by the ancient sun feasts, which are related to the gravitational field of the Earth and its changing orientation to sun and moon. I therefore abandoned the connection with violence, but setting one end of Claire's story near World War II did have something to do with that notion. And then in a footnote at the bottom, she says, The appearances of time travelers during such times might also affect events of the time without anyone noticing, particularly owing to the general state of social upheaval, which I thought was an interesting little note to put down there at the bottom.
1: What what did you like about that? To
0: me, like it just raises a little red flag. It's like, okay, so in the Gabaldonian universe, How many little significant events have been impacted by some random ass time traveler that nobody knew existed? Mm -hmm. Like, that's where my mind Mm -hmm. went on that. Because we're constantly, I mean, she says that time travelers are drawn to each other. And,
1: and I'm going to talk a little bit about that, too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's just like we're constantly seeing all of these new time travelers pop mm-hmm. up. And we're like, my God, mm-hmm. how many of them are there? And what are their real impacts on history as we know mm-hmm. it in this universe? So I thought that was interesting.
1: one other thing. I think she kind of tweaked a bit since writing this. Uh-huh. There is no set. Remember how, you know, how Roger on the show always says, and we think her time runs in parallel and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's the usual. But other things can affect that. Because we saw that with Jerry. When he returned, he didn't return with the same amount of distance that went by. He returned a couple years ahead. Did he? Yeah, because that's how he saved, you know, he was just an infant when he left, you know. And when he came back, it was only like 13 days later or whatever. And he came back. But when he came back, a couple years had passed. He was a kid.
0: Yeah, (gasps) I guess I just didn't realize the time
1: gap. But I think there was another thing at work with that. And I'm going to get to that when we get down there. Gotcha. That's the theory that I have. Anyway, um, so
0: I thought there were a couple of interesting points in that comment. The first is the rule that's laid out at the very beginning that we were talking about with a slight exception that Angela is going to talk about later, that time generally passes the same on either side of your passage through the stone. So mm-hmm. if Claire leaves in 1945 and she gets to 1743 and then for what was it? Four years pass or something like that. Then when she goes three, when she goes back through the stones, three years has also passed on the Mm -hmm. other side. So that's kind of the general rule there. Mm -hmm. And then we
1: have, if you do it with intent, if you do it, just, you don't know what you're doing. You just go. Then it's like that. If you are somehow directing, you know, you can then jump to another time because yeah. we see them all doing that you know what i mean not all doing that but we see in the last yeah. book max they jump to another time that's not the t- time to go back um and we also see raymond and the cop yeah. who hop all yeah. around not just between yeah. 200 year spans you know what i mean so mm-hmm. it, it does evolve but that's with direction and intent yeah when that happens right So it's kind of like you're aiming to go to that time. It's not just like what you just naturally land at, you know? So I think that's a little bit that plays into it. That's a good point. Yep.
0: Jessica Cheney Ramirez asked a question that I think leads very well into our next area of topic. Mm -hmm. She says, well, we know that they can do it when there is a relative that can do it. But where and how did it all start? Where did it all start? We have a pretty good idea.
1: We think that all. Time travelers come from Master Raymond, and Diana has said that she believes he was likely a spontaneous mutation. He was a powerful shaman, lived 4,000 years B.C., maybe earlier and she said but it was when they weren't using written records at that time and that the 18th century is not his first stop we find out later he's kind of all over the place he has massive abilities because his genetics are the pure genetics like the full power genetic without being watered down through strains over time you know Like the main genetic force comes from him. So he's like the Yoda. (laughs) He's like the, you know, Alpha One, you know, person. (laughs) He can do kinds of things that are very interesting. We'll talk about that too. One of the things I believe, which is now somewhat a theory, but kind of there's been things that lean into this idea. I believe when he goes into the stones, like he, I think he can, or he's near the stones, let's put it that way, or can go into the stones. He can see all of his descendants In the field, in that like whatever it is, the vortex area or whatever, he can look across all of time at once and see points of light where his descendants are and then target to go to that point of light if he has a descendant there. And that's why in Space Between, we see him coming there looking for his lost daughter. We see that idea reinforced with Mandy and Jem and all of that in the later books because when she got near the stones... Before she ever went through the stones, Mandy, I'm talking about, who is the strongest of our travelers in our little family of travelers, you know, that we've seen. She saw the light of Roger on the other side of the stone while she was still in the vicinity of the stones, but not through it yet. I think that that's like a little hint, the thing on a big scale that we can see Raymond do.
0: I think it would be beneficial to discuss how genetics, time travel genetics, maybe just the kind. So I'm going to try to give a dumbed down genetics lesson that's easy to understand. If Master Raymond is the outlander Yoda, (laughs) (laughs) we'll go with that term, and he has children with random women throughout time or whatever, obviously none of them are going to have time travel genes, but he's going to have time travel genes. The way that it's easiest to describe is like a mommy and a daddy, they each have what's called alleles, right? And you have naturally in your body, in your reproductive cells, two alleles. And you pass on one allele to your offspring so that your offspring then has two alleles. You can have dominant or recessive alleles. The time travel gene is a dominant gene. So If a parent has two time travel genes, like Master Raymond, and then the other parent has two non-time travel genes, like these random women Master Raymond has procreated with, their child is going to have one time travel gene and one non-time travel gene. But because they have one time travel gene, they can still time travel because the time travel gene is a dominant gene.
1: But that all being said, all of Master Raymond's direct children, not descendants, but direct children, have time travel genes. Like if he has mated with people over time, all of those children will have time travel genes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But then when they mate and stuff, their children might not, you know? so. So
0: as we go down through history, we have Brianna and Roger, who are way distant relatives, descendants of Master Raymond. And they each have one dominant time travel gene and one non time travel gene. So,
1: or so we believe
0: or so we believe, <laughs> but highly likely considering mm-hmm. what we learned in book nine,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's believed and granted this theory hasn't been tested, but based off of what we've gotten from. Mandy, basically, <laughs> little mandy um, the, key, the key that unlocks it all, really. We believe based on the abilities that Mandy and Jim have that they display over the course of books seven, eight, nine, that they're they both received their parents' time travel gene, however, their younger brother, Davy, that's born in Bees, received both of their parents' non time travel genes and therefore cannot time travel. That's believed. Like I said, it hasn't been put to the test or anything, but Mandy doesn't see his aura the same way that she sees the time travel's aura. It, he looks like Granda Jamie in his aura. The color so of
1: water. The color of
0: water whatever that is. <laughs> As in clear. Yeah. So that's kind of my brief lesson on time travel genetics.
1: I do have a Diana seat about the Davy thing. This was like the thing she's responding to. Add to that the hints that we have been given that Davy might not be able to time travel an altogether enormous package for Bree to deal with. My sense in terms of Davy being a plot construct is that you are correct, and who knows how deep of a role he will play in the future of the story. However, one of Diana's signatures, so to speak, is the creation of conflicts. Even within the most sacred of relationships, there were times in reading these when I was left wondering what might be the momentum or arc in the story was significant or not, but the arrival of Davy felt very deliberate to me. And this is what she said. She says, oh, I've known about Davy for quite a long time since a breath of snow and ashes, at least. I mean, as often as I've drawn that Punit Square, which is what Chelsea is talking about, where you have a, a big T, little T on top, which is basically Roger and a big T, big T is time travel. gene. little T is non-travel and a big T, little T for Brianna. And then where they meet is like how you can have the different combinations. So like a multiplication two, table. Yes. There's a four boxes. One box is big T, big T, which is time traveler. Two of them are big, big t, t, little T, t. because it a dep- Two of those boxes can come out that way. And then one is little t, little t. And so she says, those are the possibilities. They have a 75% chance of having a time-traveling child. They have a 25% chance of having a non-traveling child. And they have a 25% chance of having the super child, you know, of two-time travel genes, a double-time travel gene. She says, and we might consider the possibilities if one of their children does happen to have the double-time travel gene, which we can pretty much think that they do. Does that combination carry the possibilities of other or maybe stronger abilities? Yes, I'm sure they do. But that 25% of the non-travel gene has always been lurking in the back of my mind. And you know me, I never met a possibility I didn't like. As for what <laughs> might happen with two or about Davy. Well, there are possibilities beyond the ones you all have considered. Because they were saying, are they going to be forced in a situation where they have to leave, but they can't bring him and that kind of a thing. So she said, there's other possibilities besides that. So who the hell knows what she's talking about Mm -hmm. with that. But basically, her confirming he cannot travel. He did get why she wanted to throw that in because she wanted to show, like, you can have two parents and still not have a time travel. Only way you have it is if you have a double. So if Mandy has a double, when she gets married, all her kids will be time travelers mm-hmm. because all of them will get at least one of her time travel. Gina, both of them are for time travel. So they all mm-hmm. will have that. So hopefully that does that makes sense yeah. for everyone. Hillary says, <laughs> what was the hint towards
0: Davy in A Breath of Snow and Ashes? I think that she's just talking about from the time that it was like, is Jenny Rogers' child? What is going on? All of that.
1: Going on about all of those different boxes Genetics and how Genetics and it the works. things. Yeah.
0: Yes. And how we would know if Jimmy was Rogers, etc. And that got her wheels turning. And like on.
1: Conversely, yep. that means that right. somebody could come along that doesn't have it and we should show that in the yep. the scientific yeah. randomization of things with a bunch yes. of children. She can't have them all be time travelers. Somebody should come up with that 25%.
0: I have so many thoughts on the kids. I really do. There's so many possibilities on how those stories could go. Yeah, you had
1: said when we were planning, I have definite thoughts about Davey and I didn't know what the hell Oh, you were I'm like, I'm okay. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. No, it's not about Davy. Uh, okay. I thought you Although, said I have thoughts about Davy. I have
0: thoughts about the kids in general. Uh, I just wonder, and I don't know if we want to talk about this here, or if we want to finish talking about Master Raymond first, because you said you had something about Master Raymond that you um, wanted
1: to mention. I actually have it here with in, getting into it again with the blue light. So when okay. we get to that, so I'll, okay. I'll bring that up. That's what I'm saying. Like he fits in a few so things. many places. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: many places. I have questions on how how much of the children's supernatural gifts in general, how much of that is connected to their time travel genetics and how much of that is their, as you call it, Mac Mojo intermingling with their time travel genetics mm-hmm. because they have that Mackenzie supernatural witchy woo-woo thing from both parents mm-hmm. as well as so they're like the super, time travel. super kids. Yes. So it makes <laughs> me wonder I have this theory because this whole genetics thing and how Diana likes to, you know tweak things Mm -hmm. and explore possibilities Mm -hmm.
1: never met a possibility she didn't like
0: like. (laughs) Uh, so I'm considering it definitive that Mandy is A double dominant time traveler.
1: Absolutely. And Davey obviously
0: is a double recessive. He doesn't have the gene. Jim, I wonder about because A, that's the third option. So is he big T, one and one, little T, Mm -hmm. with a strong mix of Mac Mojo in there that allows him to hear Mandy and do all these things? Because he doesn't seem to quite have the control based off of what the stories that we got from Brianna about what happened when they went through the stones in B. He's, he it was Mandy that saved with, them. It was Mandy that steered them. Mm-hmm. So that makes me think that maybe the connection he has to Mandy has more to do with the Mac Mojo element of it than the time travel gene element of it. And that he may just be a dominant recessive person.
1: Yeah, I'm debating on it because I do think the way she has described it in the past is time travel isn't the only thing connected right. with that gene. It's kind of like that's what we're talking about but with that genetics comes other things too. And the strength of those different things vary from person to person as it blends with their other genetics. It's kind of like, and I say this somewhere, I hope I'm not jumping ahead of myself, but it's kind of like a good example, through line example is the healing ability. Okay. So we have that. And then you almost see an, an aspect of it with each traveler. Not all of them have that physical empathic healing, but all of them have, some type of healing to some extent in some way in a way that it mends things that are broken it's like a fixer you're a fixer of things you know so with claire and um, master raymond and McEwen, they can do the whole empath and the comp can get into and feel the auras inside the body and get, do all that with galus maybe she couldn't do that but she had a knack for the healing she had a knack for doing spells and doing that kind of a connective thing and use that I think that Jean what's the word realized in her that way and then you have Roger who has like that spiritual way he can sense a person spiritually and connect on a spiritual level and connect and heal their spirit, their soul, their mind. And then you have Brie, who is a fixer of things. Like she can see what's missing in something and how to make it work. And she has a natural ability for that. So it leans into that ability, that sense of being able to fix and heal things. So they all kind of spell it out differently based on other little ways those genes blend with the other genes that they have. So I kind of feel like some of what you're saying, certain aspects of what you're saying is true. But I also think there is more And some of it is stronger that some strains of the genes, you know, like if you're talking like, like a pot strain or whatever, (laughs) they all are pot, but you know, some of them will have like more of this or more of that, or more have like certain this little strain or that little strain. And they emerge differently. You it's know? a mutation so, over yeah, time. Yeah. So
0: there are different versions of
1: the gene. Exactly. Just yeah. it's like, just like uh, what's it called? Corona, you know, oh, corona. thing yeah. or the virus, you know, how it kind of mutates and changes and you get different species of the same thing. It's that kind of a thing where you kind of, over time, kind of tweaks and it kind of adapts. Yeah different ways to work with other things that you have in your gene pool. So I think that's kind of how it goes with Jim. I kind of feel like he's stronger than the average traveler. Mm -hmm. You know, he has certain things that seem to make him stronger than the average traveler, but he's not as strong as man. Yeah. So he, she might've gotten some coordinating things, They are either both TTs, big T, big T, Mm -hmm. but her coordinating things make her stronger of a big TT, Mm -hmm. or he's not a big TT and she is, but even though he's not a big TT, he has a lot stronger elements because he does have all of this power in his gene pool, you know, and he got a stronger gene of that.
0: I think that you're onto something with the expression of that gene coming across differently. I mean, that's what allows people to have a million different hair colors or nobody's eye color being the same. You know, there's all kinds of other genes that someone inherits that affect the influence of that gene. And like I said, this is just my theory on it from reading everything that I have in preparation. For this and my mm-hmm. reread of the books that I'm doing right now, I just have a feeling that the Mackenzie genes that Jim has inherited are influencing his time travel gene in a way that allows him to be ne- a stronger, more it. connected time traveler. But that what? he's not quite the Big T, Big T that Mandy is. Okay, we should start calling her that, the Big T. <laughs> <laughs> Master Raymond (laughs) is outlander Yoda and Mandy is big. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh Do we
1: think we'll see more time traveling in the prequel. And if so, how might it tie in? Ooh, that's a good question. I actually do think we do. And I'll tell you why. This is totally like a wag, but I feel like being that they live close to the stones, that the stones are going to still be there near Lollybrock, you know, like within 30 miles or whatever of Lollibra. And if you recall, and it could just be he's heard things. Mm-hmm. But when in, in book eight, when you see Brian, when he tells Brian about something and he mentions Craig Nadoon, Roger, mm-hmm. I'm talking about to Brian, Brian gets a look on his face. A little bit of an alarm look on his face, like he knows something about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so you kind of get the impression that that triggered something for him. And remember, she, that's not a, a long ago book, you know, like she kind of yeah. is formulating all this stuff, the advancement of what everything is. And she's given us a lot of clues in Moby. About time travel and these. She's intentionally dropping little things in there. So I kind of feel like he does, but I don't know how it's realized, but I'm thinking something's going to happen where he runs into maybe a traveler or something like that.
0: Okay. Laura asked me, what is the Mac Mojo you're talking about? Ah. I think I missed something. So Mac Mojo is a term that Angela coined from the (laughs) book club, (laughs) from her book club that she runs. And it's basically the supernatural connectivity that people of the McKenzie lineage tend to have. So we see it a lot in Jamie in his connectedness to his surroundings, but also his ability to dreamwalk.
1: And yeah, it's usually like some type of a sight or sensory gift.
0: Jamie kind of has moments where he feels people that have passed that are important to him around him. We see it with Murta, Dougal, his mother, his father, his brother, Willie.
1: He sees his mother's or yeah. feels his mother's ghost or presence a lot it saved him in the in the water when he was swimming to the island yep. in silky island it was what steered him into the Jet, the jet stream or whatever it is, you know, the little <laughs> current. And we see it when he found AXO. Yeah. I've always kind of believed the mother is represented in AXO. Oh, it's yeah. Kind of like a little spirit with him. Do you see that frequently, his mm-hmm. mother kind of guiding him and, you know, whatever. And she is in Mackenzie. yeah
0: it, Jenny also has it whenever she mm-hmm. saw, like, an example is when she saw Claire's shade between Leary and Jamie whenever they were being married. She sees visions almost. She doesn't really recognize that for what it is, I think. But that's kind of how her Mac Mojo manifests. Willie has a similar connection that Jamie has, where he can sense those of his past loved ones around him. He has a really deep connection. Bree.
1: Yeah, and Bree too. So a little bit with the dreams. Yeah. And we also see it with Roger's Gemini. that way too. So Joni has mm-hmm. the sight and she is from a Mackenzie line. Mm -hmm. you know, because Leary's a Mackenzie. A lot of that line has that and so we call that the Mac Mojo because it comes out differently with different people. Mm -hmm. Some people sense spirits, some people see ghosts, some people have like the thing with Joni sees the death aura, you know Mm -hmm. some, we see Roger when he was walking around Lollybrock, seeing his father's spirit, sensing Jamie's spirit walking with him, all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of that element and we always see them somewhat connected to the Mackenzie line. Well, like Jim, Um,
0: it was an Echo where They they go up on top of the hill because that's where granddad would want to be and that they kind of sense him there in that place. And he
1: says, did you ever see your granddad? And he says, I haven't talked to him. But Mandy does, I think. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. This is how Diana works. She drops these little teeny little breadcrumbs that by itself, it doesn't seem like a big thing. But when you start to put it all together in a pile, Mm -hmm. you know, and sift it through, then it becomes like, okay, I'm getting a picture.
0: So that's kind of was the connection that I'm drawing and what we were talking about, how other genetic inheritances can compile to influence the time travel gene differently. Mm -hmm. So like Jenny and Jamie they're not time travelers but they still have these supernatural things going on but then when their genes filter down to someone who has time travel genes you get all kinds of funky combinations of people that can do all kinds of cool stuff. Yes
1: and like I said too Diana has hinted that there are other buildings connected to the time travel gene besides just time travel. Well I fully
0: believe the the whole malva Galus, i believe fully amaranthus is one of those mm-hmm. that they can use their sexuality oh yeah to influence people i think that's another thing separate yes. from the
1: mac mojo Absolutely. another
0: inheritable thing that can be amplified by the time travel team. right
1: but yeah definitely because we see that with a few we see that with the comp too yeah mm-hmm. he has kind of that sexual charm mm-hmm. and he's like you know that Galus taught him sexual yeah. magic. <laughs> sexual magic. Yeah. Thank yeah. God. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dude, like, she's your freaking descendant and she's teaching you sexual magic.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'll let you take Dina's comment because it's about the exile and I haven't read that.
1: Okay, Kenneth has just been in the exile. I read it just once as far as I remember. He's a time traveler friend that came with Galus that she was trying to have kill Jamie in the exile in that time frame. But interestingly, Kenneth is also mentioned in Frank's letter about being the name of the Bram Seer that had the prophecy. So is there a connection? Yeah, that is mentioned. And the thing is, Kenneth that's the Bram Seer. The Bram Seer is a real thing. I don't know if you know that or not. But the Bram Seer is a real historical thing, and his name was Kenneth Mackenzie, which is interesting, too. More Mac Mojo, <laughs> <laughs> borrowing yeah. from real history, right. because he was that. And the Fraser Prophecy is also a real prophecy. When the you know, Fifth Bridge is built or whatever, and that Fifth Bridge thing that he said, that was a prophecy of his, and also prophecy is that the last ruler of Scotland or whatever will come through the Fraser of line. So he did predict that which is another thing to show kind of (laughs) change, but that's neither here nor there. But anyway, like, that's another thing. And that was in Mackenzie that did that more Mac mojo. But I don't know if that Kenneth was that Kenneth. I don't think so. I kind of think that was a little bit of a red Ted hair. Yeah, because he wasn't the same time period. Like, Kenneth McKenzie was way before that Kenneth. You Unless know? he
0: went back again. He died. Um, see, I've only read, I haven't read The Exile at all. And then I've only read mm-hmm. a lot of the novellas and all that stuff points. So mm-hmm. I need to read them again. Terry says, gayless came from a time of Marvin Gay sexual healing. <laughs> hers isn't really healing
1: hers is I will sexually entrench you and then I will kill you she's very much a succubus
0: type vibe yeah
1: very much like a black widow
0: just freaking (laughs) suck the life out of you while we're getting it on (laughs) type thing
1: yeah I love the way you hear Lauren Stern in Voyager was guiding them to, you know, to go in, yes. he was with them on the thing to go to Ocracoke and all that stuff. He was talking about how he liked her when he met her. She was very friendly and very welcoming because, you know, she was pumping him for information about Ocracoke yeah. and going him for all the deets, you know? And he's like, oh, caught your fancy, huh? Or whatever, you know, Jamie had said. And she's like, yeah, he's like, but I don't think I'll be, you know, doing that again. He said, you know, there's a story about a spider that, when she takes a lover, you have to bring her a treat. And then while she's busy with her treat, you jump on a calculator and then you get away. Because if you're still there or you don't bring her a treat that she likes, she'll have a chance to go. <laughs> and he's like, that's what she reminded me of. So I what? think I've had my full and I will just like let it be an interesting experience. I <laughs> forgot about that story. <laughs> And they're like, yeah, yeah, you might want to think about not revisiting her. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> She's been through like five husbands since she got here. The blue light is something that marks healing time travelers, but only those with the time travel gene can see the blue light, but only the healers of the time travelers can actually like generate it. If you have the empathic healing element, but you all have it and you can see it in each other. The healers can see it in each other. We saw Hector McEwen had it and you saw when he used it, Roger could see it. Brianna could see it, even though they don't generate it on their own, you know, like as an empathic healer in that way, that they could see it. Of course, Claire, Raymond and the Comte all had the ability to go and tap in to this healing ability and see this blue or a blue light even to the point to see when a womb is, when like fertilization happens. Yeah. Like when an
0: embryo implants yes. or whatever.
1: the comp could see like his sperm as Like the little green lights going up the womb, see the egg, you know, and all like the whole thing. You can see it all, you know. So it's kind of and that's you know, of course, that's a lesser power than Raymond. Raymond can definitely see it all. This is where I also had the sense of this is where the dependents, the, the the descendants come in. Whereas you can see like Mandy and and Jem can see each other as like a light in their mind and they can see their family. He can see Granny Claire and each one's a little less than he can see them, but he can. But they're smaller. They're not as far. You can't sense them as far as you get further away from their genetic connection. So that's where I come up with this theory that Raymond can see all his descendants as like these blue lights like they can through time or through the stones that they could sense their father he can do it on like a much bigger scale with all of his descendants that are genetically connected to him. And um, here's what I have on here from, from her. She says that he's a spontaneous mutation. He did not inherit his time travel abilities. Not all his, his descendants have the blue aura, but those that do are also time travelers and can sense organic life forces. She also says that he has a strong history at some point in Orkney. And so that kind of, connects with all of the Orkney stuff because we hear a lot about Orkney in these books you know as like kind of the the place where it all began it's where you see a lot of the archaeologists come going and finding things and doing expeditions a lot of the time travelers make their like little almost patronage visits there (laughs) so I think they have a sense of of that as well it's interesting
0: because the Orkneys have a high connection with the Vikings.
1: Yes, and the, and we see it, you know, Charles hoff and mm-hmm. all that in Catherine's books. Right. So, you know, it, it, I, I kind of like got a little smile when I would see that because I'm like, oh, there's another little Outlander connection, you yeah. know. In the space between, she says that Raymond does have one rather important thing that we aren't talking about yet, because she was. this was all about Raymond. And she said, it's definitely a part of the known abilities of time travelers, but you might say it's present in a more intense or focused form in him than in other people we know. So I think that's what she's talking about. She says it's yeah. something we've seen, but it's something that makes it it's way beyond what we've seen. You know, it takes that to a much more intense version. Somebody replied, I might surmise that two time travelers may well be drawn to one another due to a sense of some subconscious connection of some sort, a knowingness or a deep kinship. She said, apparently so. So I kind of think that that's what her, his deal is. That's why he can jump all over the place, all through history, because he sees all of the different people of his descendants of his line he can connect to as a point of light. So that's kind of That's the theory I have, one of the theories I have about Master Raymond and why he can jump all over the place.
0: It makes me wonder, since Raymond can travel Mm -hmm. basically anywhere over any point of time. If he has a descendant there. Makes me wonder what order he visited in. (laughs) Like, you know, like if, if in his timeline, like the Montauk Five stuff happened before he met Claire in France. So it's not really like technically related to anything, but it just makes me wonder. the like, book
1: is going to be interesting when she mm-hmm. does this book. The other thing is in Space Between, we get a sense that he can change form. He can mm-hmm. shape, shift in some way, shape or form or change his appearance. So we see in Space Between, it appears that he turns into a cat twice when he's near Notre Dame he can sense movement and energy in the stones at Notre Dame and then when he says to the comps what is the absolute role of an alchemist and he says to change matter you know the transformation of matter he said exactly and then he was gone and then there was a gray cat walking by away and like loved by the comps legs and walked off Mm -hmm. and it kind of freaked him out but then he was also freaked out that raymond appeared younger when he saw him but still knew everything that happened when he was older how did that happen possibly because he could change his appearance to look younger when yeah. he was it, you know what I'm saying? like yeah. he has like a different level of stuff, yeah. you know. Like I said, he's the Yoda, so who knows what we're gonna see with Mandy in the future? Yeah, maybe she'll be able to turn herself into a piglet or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that Raymond can sense energy in the stones of Notre Dame mm-hmm. because ley lines, which is kind of our ne- one of our next topics, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. are primarily like the geomagnetic field of the earth but depending on who you ask ley lines can also connect places of significant historical origins so it's interesting that like maybe because it's historically significant it has a sort of energy to it that connects it with Mm -hmm. the geomagnetic field of Mm -hmm. the earth just Mm -hmm. thoughts that's just totally me rambling by the way, but it just made me think
1: uh, Jane that says that Raymond has a ten thousand foot view Dina asks if you think Raymond can see his descendants and how is there a lost order he can't find? I think that's why he went there because through the time portal he could see that 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 was in need he he sensed that that there was a person in that time that needed him, but then once he got there and now he's searching for her. You know what I mean? Like that brought him to be able to get in there. It's kind of like how Jerry like brought Roger and steered him into that time. But then once he got there, he had to find him. And I think that's kind of the way it was like in, in the vortex, he could sense that. But once he's out of it and he's bipping around, he has the like locator. Once he saw her, I think he would know her. I'm, I'm half wondering if Amaranthus is that lost daughter. I, I am kind of half thinking that because it was seventy eight. That's when she come back around, and all of a sudden she shows up. She has this bookseller father. You know who knows? You know that seemed like this short dude. Ugh. Anyway, just a God. wacky theory. But anyway, I hate um, Amaranthus. You so- <laughs> too. I'm, praying. I'm like, I don't even want her redeemed. I just don't want her. <laughs> you know? yeah. She just um, go away, please. Yes. So on that thing with, with the changing of shape, let's remember this quote from Fiery Cross. In Otter Tooth's journal, he said, it was at a naming ceremony that I first met Raymond. I sat up abruptly hearing that. This is in Claire's point of view. He had mentioned Raymond in the beginning, but I had taken no particular note of the name then. Does he describe this Raymond? I asked urgently. Jamie shook his head. Not in terms of appearance, no. He says only that Raymond was a great shaman who could transform himself into birds or animals and who could walk through time. So there's another reference that he can transform himself. So you see that kind of reference twice. So I'm kind of feeling like that's a, that's true. Although it seems crazy. <laughs> Yeah. But that's what it kind of seems like. So I don't know how that's going to play in the future, but uh, we'll see. Okay, so like I said, it's been a long time since
0: I've read Space Between mm-hmm. and all of that. Do we have actual confirmation that this lost daughter that he's searching for is actually, like, his direct descendant? Or is there a possibility that he considers all time travelers That's for his thing. sons and daughters? That's- so it could technically be anybody.
1: Right. Because I mean, he's talking to the comp and saying, you're one of mine. Yeah. You know? And so was she. And I couldn't let you hurt her, being in Claire. So... Basically, like he looks at them all as his, Mm -hmm. you know, it could be a direct daughter, but I I kind of feel like it's somebody that he feels responsible for because she's kind of lost whoever she is. He also knew Amelie, we find out in space between. I have the craziest so, thought going uh, that, through my head right so, now. Interesting. well go ahead. Am I spurring you on to think of things? Yes.
0: This whole <laughs> conversation's <laughs> got me like in 20,000 different directions. Mm-hmm. What if it's Mandy? Who Raymond's searching for? Like, what if the timelines are crossing? Like, what if she's time traveling and he's time traveling and somehow connected? Like, he's looking for her, but they're both time traveling in circles, basically. She would
1: be in, that was 1778. She would be in in 1778. Which she wouldn't technically exist. I think, right. Because she she left before that in 76 and she would be coming back after that in, what was it, 79 or something?
0: Yeah, I'm just saying, like, when she grows up, like, if there are times, but since she is able to hop through the stones seemingly without much impact to her health. I don't know. And I may be thinking this just because her abilities seemingly have the most connection with Raymond, Raymond. that maybe she's able to travel like he is mm-hmm. and so maybe she is who he is looking for but it's happening back in the mm-hmm. 1700s or whatever and it was just it, a thought but.
1: It could yeah. be also Madeline, the girl that he impregnated. Could be. Yeah. And then I had one here comp could see the womb glow and see auras recognize travelers Claire, i said for females the power increases after menopause and we see that referenced several times be- between in voyager um ishmael you know he talks about that how have you stopped bleeding yet women don't really have power until they stop bleeding you know like that comes into play and we of course we see the blue power with the white hair prophecy with Nyanweni. And then we see it come into play and in B is I also have a feeling, especially knowing that somehow he's connected with the Native Americans, I kinda have a feeling that Naya Wenny may have been also a traveler. You know, and I'm I'll get in. I, I actually am coming up on that chapter soon. I actually I'm doing it tomorrow in the book club, White Raven. And so I'll talk about that there a little bit as well. But that's why it's fresh in my yeah. head because I was prepping that for tomorrow. But I kind of feel like she may have been because she was also a healer. And the way she was touching Claire when she first met her, she was touching her and feeling her all over. I kind of feel like she has that sense and then she made that prophecy. So I kind of feel like that too. I think a lot of the shamans and the people like that, that we see and not realizing maybe that's even what they are. You know what I mean? But they are type of thing. That's just my way. It's not known. But the ability to give birth draws away from their power because their force of life is going into, you know, having a life creating force. Mm -hmm. And so they can't really part it out to give it to empathically heal like that until they get to where they don't need that anymore. You know, and then it like shifts, I guess, is how it works. Also, the healing aspect with the blue glow, it's empathic and in some form realizes different each traveler, as we said, this is where I have that note, to coordinate with other abilities and strengths as in healing. And I gave that example already. So I said, when they do this, pretty much at least Roger, Claire, the other healers, because it's empathic, they draw from the strengths of other people in the room. You know, they draw from the energies of the other people in the room. We see Roger do that where he talks about how he's able to like captivate the room and he feels like they're all kind of in his thrall almost they're like all connected in this different level we see claire say they were all mine they were all in my hands everybody in the room when they're healing buck roger says all of our hearts were beating together as one And then when they kind of woke up they almost kind of felt like what the hell just happened yeah. and they didn't remember anything because i think it's kind of like that's all part of it they use the life force and that's what we see with claire in book nine the way her thing works she draws from the strength of jamie even yeah. though he's not a healer or anything like that you know just like the people in the room weren't with McEwen she uses his strength of life force and that's why Raymond tells her to call on him to utilize that force that she has even though he wasn't present to use that connection she has to draw on his strength these are kind of all part of it they're able to draw and that's why when you see multiple time travelers near the stones when they go through it wipes everybody out that's at the stones they kind of all are hit from it especially Claire because it's sucking their energy out to help them travel yeah. you know what i mean so that's all kind of part of that lore as well it's interesting that you brought up that
0: claire draws energy from jamie because i just read the scene in moby i guess it was last week where she's doing that surgery on Tench Mm Bledsoe. And just for recapping purposes, it's her first surgery after she shot at Monmouth and goes through her own abdominal surgery with Denny. And she's really, really like struggling and trying to keep herself focused and draw her energy and not think about what she's doing. But it's almost like it's working inversely with how it normally works at that point, her empathic healing, because she's feeling everything Tensh is feeling yeah. and she can't separate herself from it.
1: Mm-hmm. And she literally, because she physically herself is weaker. She is like more susceptible, yeah. I guess, if you want to call it that it's not being able to separate from yeah. it. You know, the
0: the reason I thought about that was because Jamie in that moment is literally the only reason she gets through that situation, mm-hmm. like mentally And physically, like, he's Mm -hmm. giving her everything he can. So, yeah, you talking about that. And we also
1: see that a little bit, even though we don't hear anything about the blue light, we also see it a little with Lord Mm -hmm. John. When she fixes his eye, she's having a hard time having a hard time. And it's when Jamie shifts his body and puts his body next to John to kind of give him a little support. Reluctantly, probably. (laughs) (laughs) that time it works and she gets the muscle to pop free, Mm you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't like, you can't put too much into that, but I kind of feel like all that is that, that sense of touch and energy being commuted through things to assist is part of the power of this. The other thing is the power to recognize another traveler. Okay. You see that with some of the men, you see that with the older women. And I think that's another thing you see with Naya Wenny touching Claire like that. She talks about how in her mind, she (coughs) felt like she was having a running conversation with naya wenny that we were having somehow a conversation even though she couldn't explain it she could feel her talking to her so i kind of feel like that's another thing like they have a different connection as two healers and so that's making me think she might have had the time travel gene somehow and there's a draw the closer they're genetically linked I, i actually had so
0: here we're gonna get into the physical vectors i guess for time travel mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. ley lines and the stones and how that all kind of mm-hmm. works. So I was talking about Notre Dame when Angela was talking about Master Raymond a little bit, but literally like the plain Jane official definition of a ley line is invisible lines that demarcate the path between two significant locations, historical markers, structures, etc. So they're not like actual lines that you can see, but they connect significant points around the earth. We're talking about geomagnetic lines or you can literally, and Roger I believe does this at one point whenever he is working on the time travel guide or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. He does it with standing stones and then he connects them all together but it probably even goes farther than standing stones. It does. The standing stones just as far as they know and like what they can draw is that they mark specific spots on the earth where the ley lines intersect and create this vortex that Mm -hmm. allows time travel because Mm -hmm. the lines are intersecting and basically it creates different layers of time that you can travel through like it's that's basically what the stones are at this point, as far as we know.
1: So, I, I have on there the way he's describing it is that geomagnetic lines of the earth, and you can can't travel, as you said, on the vortices, but you can still have a sense of the magnetism on the line itself, which gets into the tunnel. The tunnel was just a line. It wasn't a crossing. That's why he could feel it. And Jemmy felt it even more than even Bree did. But they didn't actually travel in it. They were touching it, basically. That line that eventually intersects and pregnant dudes. Brianna postulates in bees. She said, well, that's what a ley line is. Electromagnetism runs in parallel bands an alternate directional current. And so I have a little spot here to read from bees. This is kind of additional things we got in here. And Diana keeps talking about what's said in here about it. She starts to explain about that. That's what ley lines are. He replies, well, like standing stones, you often find that you can draw a straight, very straight in most cases, as though it had been surveyed line through two or three such sites. Archaeologists call those ley lines, though some folk call them spirit walks, because the dead are thought to, oh, my God, he says, a brief, uncontrollable shudder ran through him. She's a goose walking on your grave. Not everybody makes it, he said, ignoring the sympathy and smugness through the stones. That's what you mean, that the people who don't go through or don't go through properly turn up dead on these ley lines leading to the not so reasonable supposition that there's something supernatural going on. She said it makes sense so I'm thinking that the time places are maybe spots where different ley lines converge. If so what happens to the electromagnetism in that spot would be really interesting and it might be what makes time accessible. If you have the right genetics for it, if you walk into one of those spaces you die physically you dissolve into stardust if you want to call it that and your particles can pass through the stone because they're smaller than the atoms that make up the stone. Roger felt a distinct lurch in his insides at the memory of what it felt like. Being dead wasn't putting it too strongly. But we came out again. If we die, we don't stay dead. Well, some of us don't. She said, if we believe Otter Tooth's journal that that skunk went to go and some of their companions made it through the stones but came out dead, there were all those incidences in Gayless Duncan's journal, strange people often in odd clothes turning up dead near the stone circles. So you think you have a notion of why that doesn't happen to everybody. She said, I'm not sure it amounts to that much, but it kind of goes along with what you were saying about what Christians believe in, that we go on living after death. He said, so, she says, well, see, that's where I think the gemstones come in, you know, what it feels like when they burn up, when the chemical bonds between their molecules, or maybe their atoms or subatomic particles are breaking. And when you break a chemical bond, it releases a lot of energy, since it's releasing that energy inside our clouds of dissolving stuff, maybe that's what keeps the bits of our bodies together, you're saying. She said, "Uh uh-huh, and this just occurred to me. Maybe you can lose a few bits in transit, but still make it out, but just with a little damage like an irregular heartbeat so that's kind of what they're saying she talks about the conservation of mass it talks about how if you're going and you don't have the proper mass they postulate whether or not someone would die if they're going to a spot that doesn't have room for that you know that there is right. which i'm not sure how much i go with that but i thought that was interesting and you kind of get a vibe she's basically is saying you get turned into basically like stardust and the basically your soul what lives on air. After death is what's holding your particles together, and the gemstones and the energy that they release around your body, close to your body, helps to hold all that together. It makes sense.
0: I also kind of agree with the theory of mass because one of the biggest laws of science is matter can neither be created nor destroyed. Right. If you have a certain amount of matter in timeline A, and you have a certain amount of matter in timeline B, if matter can't be created or destroyed, and you're trying to take matter from A and there's no room in B, it just bounces back basically through the stones and you get stuck in the stones.
1: Makes sense to me. I just don't know how that, translates because they do go through and make it. So they always are coming into a place where they weren't. So I had to think about how that all worked.
0: Because remember, she's talking about people in weird clothes popping out all along the ley lines, Uh dead. So maybe they bounce back to the nearest time that has space for them. The time that we're in now has a certain amount of matter. And no matter what you do, how many people die, whatever, that matter still exists within that time. But then, say, 1743, where you're trying Trying to go it almost has to deal with who's time traveling at what time there has to be an empty space worth of matter that you can go to like
1: basically x person is supposed to be in 1743 and they've traveled now there's room in 1743 yes. for this person from tw- you know 1980 to come into that yes. spot so but you wouldn't know that you wouldn't unless you try that right? so basically it's a crapshoot even yes. if you have all your protection and all that kind of stuff well and it you explains have to hope why else it's traveling in that time you're going to to be able to go there well, it, it explains awful.
0: why the Montauk Five all had different locations that they needed to go to, but only certain people made it. Were they all trying to get to the same time or were they all well, trying I, to get to... You
1: mean, so you mean different times, Right. not location. Yeah. What happened was they were all supposed to be going to the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's why Raymond said you can't go in more than groups of five. I think that had to do with the mass question. I, my feeling is there's a certain cushion, but mm-hmm. then you can't go beyond that. Like, that's what I kind of think. And so if we went beyond that, then it's overthrowing things out of balance. And I think that's where the five, you can't go in groups of more than five at a time. It just makes
0: sense to me, like, if they tried to go, but there wasn't room for them, they popped out as one of those people that just showed up dead in weird clothes. At
1: some time they weren't technically planning for right. or whatever. Right, Because they were in weird clothes in the time that they showed up. Exactly. That's what she yeah. said. Like, they were in weird clothes for the time they showed up, so that's not where they were trying right. to go to, even though they were trying to go someplace.
0: But if they know? get stuck in the stones mm. as stardust mm. with no energy to hold them together, right? then eventually that energy is going to run out. It's going to kill them. And then whenever their body pops out, wherever it pops out, they're
1: dead. They're dead. Right. Somewhere on the ley line.
0: So crazy. So
1: (laughs) here's another little thing from Diana. When she talked about this particular topic, she was talking about Raymond. And she was giving out a clip of a daily line from his book or whatever. And she says, on the question of whether living in the future of one's own time takes energy from someone else who then must die in the past, a sense of the interlinkage of all time travelers. This is what Master Raymond is saying. Am I stealing time from them? A worse thought is someone, someone's stealing time from me. And yet I touch the web I say that as though it were my choice, but in truth, it touches me always. I cannot separate myself from it. My only choice is whether to pay attention to it or not. But it throbs always with light, with light, and I'm a part of of it, Perhaps it isn't a matter of stealing time. Can you steal something without intent? Sour Emily would say that it's impossible and she may be right. Perhaps it is only that all of us are caught in the great web and never know whether we are the flies or the spiders. So that's what she says. So you get the impression that he can kind of sense points of light everywhere. He's always part of it and connected to it.
0: Uh, kind of already touched on it a little bit, but this is just talking about how Brianna and Jim kind of crossed this ley line, not really knowing what it was, and it kind of gave them this similar feeling to when they were near the stones, but it wasn't as like holy right. crap. And I think that's it,
1: because okay. it's connected to the vortex that can intersect. But my the ley lines, <laughs>
0: yeah, the ley lines just. Stack on top of each other and create this magnified power which allows them to travel through. So it's only a fraction of what they get at the stones. And I think that's kind of allows Bree and Roger and and the kids to kind of start to put together how all of these lines may be connected or what the heck that was. Because that would be so startling to be stuck in the dark in some tunnel and then all of a sudden you feel like you've been hit by a truck for just a second and you're like, what the hell was that? And then to find out that your kid was also locked in the same tunnel, don't even get me started.
1: I think this is important. That line and lines in general where you're feeling the effect of crossing it. I don't think you're feeling that every time you cross any random line, but I think if you cross a line that eventually connects with an intersection, which maybe might be the one at Craig Dune or whatever, you know, I think you then go into that. You kind of sense your energy for a moment connects with the vortex energy. Um, I kind of wondered
0: if it wasn't because it was subterranean, like it's in the earth. Mm -hmm. So that's why. Because, like, I feel like if you would cross a line on top of the earth, you wouldn't have such a strong reaction to yeah, it. Like, I kind of felt Cause like. Because you're in that You're right. in
1: walls of minerals and rock. And all of that kind of stuff, all of that stuff has property of energy that is also blended to it. So yeah, yeah, you possibly could be right there.
0: So that leads us to the stones. We talked about how the stones demarcate these locations where the ley lines intersect and how they kind of just pop up all over the place. They're not all marked, but it's like they pop up as standing stones in a lot of places, places, which kind of just makes me curious why because it's
1: safe space between you had the chalk mine that's and it true. was just going into a certain area of the chalk mine which so, in voyager it's just a cave and the stones were above the that's, cave kind of over here like this is a spot but it wasn't that spot it was just underneath we're near a spot yeah, yeah we're near a spot so be aware right yeah <laughs> Just a big warning <laughs> what sign. And you said, people?
0: So, I kind of wanted to talk about the Montauk Five here because they do some interesting things to go through the stones that then Bree and Roger end up doing when they go through the stones as far as walking in certain patterns and doing certain chants and all of this stuff and I couldn't remember the specifics of it, but I wonder what the significance of that is. I mean, I guess it's similar to the gemstone theory as far as just offering you some sort of protection as you turn into stardust.
1: In the book, we see Fiona makes Roger go off to the side for a second, and she goes over, and she does this whole chant thing, like she would do that, like, it's supposed to open the stones up or something Mm -hmm. like that. So she goes and does that. When she does, he felt it stronger afterwards. It was like overpowering the noise and whatever you know mm-hmm. so something she did or said yeah. made a different for some reason
0: it's kind of driving me nuts as I read these books, because I'm like, we're getting so many teeny tiny little pieces. And I feel like we're on the verge of understanding everything. But it's just Mm -hmm. like that one key piece of information that we need to unlock the whole puzzle. And that's how I feel. Even as we continue to get information, I'm like, but that's not the right piece. That's not the key. That's just me personally, and my reading experience for these books. So anyway, another key thing to the stones and something that Diana has said is connected is are the the celestial events and the phase of the sun and the moon and how they all connect, which is very much like a Celtic thing. Mm -hmm. I know that there are other cultures that really put focus on that. But it really struck me in reading that because it is a story that primarily like starts out in Scotland and then we realize it's bigger than that. But it really struck me because I'm also, as I'm was prepping for this, I'm doing my reread of Clan Lands and they were talking about Clava Cairns. And then I come across this quote from Diana that's talking about, well then I realized it was more geomagnetic and talking about the you know the rising and setting of the sun and then the fire feasts. And I guess it makes me wonder how the Druids and the Celts came to find this connection to the earth. I guess because a, a huge part of their culture is being one with the earth. Maybe that helped them in some sort of way. Or maybe they had time travelers within their midst being closer to the earth than most people. I don't know. But it may, it may it, mean it, it may my interest. that The
1: stones have their own vibration and they have their mm-hmm. own sound they actually have a frequency and i think mm-hmm. that that that's part of it as well that you connect with that frequency where other non-travelers people that don't have the gene don't connect to that frequency yeah but i do want to say this we've seen like what's been proven in the books is that you can travel on the non-specific day but there is like a window that gets weaker as you go to the edges of that window. You know what I mean? And the middle of it is that day. So it's kind of like as you get further away from that day, the stones are less and less and less open. And according to the space between, when he went into the chalk mine, he said he could feel it there. He couldn't hear it now. You only heard it on the solstice or equinox or when you actually walked into it, but you still felt the sound in your bones. So basically he's saying that you could walk into it when it's not those days. You can walk into it other days. And we've seen that because when Claire came back, it wasn't a big stay, but it was close enough to Beltane that she still made it through. So I think that's part of it as well.
0: Yeah. There's a quote from the outlandish companion. It was in the Q and a section. The question was, why does Roger not hear the stones in North Carolina when he's fleeing from the Indians and stumbles into the circle? And Diana says, It was the wrong time of year. If the passage through the stones stands widest open on a sun feast and fire feast, it is presumably more or less closed in the periods between. As Galus slash Jillian's notes indicate, an attempted passage at the wrong time can be
1: fatal. Right, And I think when you're near the stones and in connection to the stones, it amplifies their power. Like that area, being in the area amplifies their power. It kind of turns on like a higher range antenna. And one of the things that you see that with is Mandy, because she can hear and feel Roger across time near the stones. She couldn't do that until she was near the stones. And then once they get through the stone, she doesn't hear them right away. They're looking for him. But she heard and felt him on the other side of the stones because that's the stones magnified it. We currently live in the Gregorian calendar, but it's 12 to 13 days different than the Julian calendar, which is what they had until 1752. That 12, 13 days makes a difference because we're dealing with jumping through times that are beyond two different calendars, basically. And there's this 12 or 13 day difference. That's partly why Claire could travel when she was coming back and it didn't hurt her as bad because she, I think there's like a 12, 13 day window when you'd have those feast days in either time period. So it kind of gives you like a range. And I think that comes into play, which I'm going to get into with the Roger Jerry situation. Gotcha. That was, I just wanted to make sure you're aware of that because it's a, it's important, I think, because we're dealing with two mm-hmm. different calendars of time. You have Cairns and druid lore.
0: I can easily see how, if Diana was doing research and coming up with the standing stones theory, I guess. So there's specific structures, the burial mounds at Cairns. they have paths in them that lead to the center of the mound. And at certain days of the year, these paths into the burial mounds or the tombs line up with the sun when it rises Mm -hmm. or sets. I just thought that was so cool. It literally started this like chain reaction in my head when I was learning about it about, oh, so if the standing stones are connected, because at Clava Cairns, you see all kinds of different markers and stones. Yeah, it's really cool. They have actual standing stones and they have burial mounds and all kinds of different stuff. It's kind of a unique representation of how different stone structures from from the Bronze Age, because that's when most of these structures were created, kind of symbolize their beliefs. And we kind of can draw on how connected they were to the phases of the sun and the moon and how significant those were in even something as simple as burying someone that had passed, they would actually leave a body overnight in this circle of this tomb, mm-hmm. there was something about they believed they couldn't bury a body, like the soul didn't pass from the body until the sun had set and the moon had risen. So yeah, it's just like all kinds of cool stuff. Like yeah that, I love that the I'm pla- just like
1: I love the woo-woo stuff. Yeah.
0: So that's how I, I thought of that because I went to Cava Cairns when I went to Scotland the second time. And I thought about all of that whenever we were outlining. Next major topic is gemstones. We discussed a little bit how they're not required in the books, they are required in the show, so that's one of those big differences. Mm-hmm. There was a little quote that I had from the Outlandish Companion it says Galus also thought that gemstones offered a means both of controlling the process of time travel opening passages at times other than the sun feasts and fire feasts, for example, mm-hmm. and protecting the traveler. She appears to have been closer to the mark in this assumption, since Roger was in fact protected in his journey first by the garnets of his mother's locket and then by the diamond given to him by Fiona. Mm-hmm. Along the lines of what Angela was reading from bees, it does protect. They're, they weren't sure of the technicalities, I guess, at this point. Mm-hmm. And not everything that Galus has in her grimoire is accurate. She's just going off of things that she was able to gather from different resources over the eons mm-hmm. and put together some of the puzzle pieces herself. That's one thing Some I think... things
1: do work because we've seen them right? Work, that she yeah. said. So,
0: so that's mm-hmm. one thing to kind of keep in mind is that she's right on some things, but she also, there's a margin for error in her calculations. Like she believes true. that-
1: for- all of the time travelers and this is something diana really presses that she wanted it to feel very realistic and that's what you would realistically do you you posit things and then you realize you'd scrap things off like for instance traveling forward everybody assumed that you couldn't in the beginning Mm -hmm. you know it was just you go back 200 years you go back forward 200 years and that's it but then we discover it doesn't have to be 200 years. And then we discover that you can go forward through books. So like you're basically seeing them constantly revising what they know mm-hmm. and what they think they know. It's You can't read this book thinking that every clue you get is automatically yeah. true because these she wants you to feel like just like a scientist has to go through trial and error and make some wrong hypothesis and then has to revamp. They're doing the same. She wanted you to feel that as she's writing to be in their mind Mm -hmm. in the way that they're trying to figure you're trying to figure it out with them so i had the role of gemstones based on everything i've read from her (laughs) absorb excess energy provide the most safety and steering and breathe posits that they help hold your energy together each gemstone has a vibration also we see the idea of diamond dust diamond dust in a pentagon blocks the sound and we saw that actually come out in Voyager with, with Galus, it did work, in Voyager with Galus and in the space between with the comp and Raymond, once they got inside the Pentacle, it blocked the sound out and the people outside of it couldn't even hear them talking when they were standing inside the pentacle, and blocked out the sound of the stones so it didn't make them nuts so apparently that's diamond dust does that in a pinnacle
0: shape I also Um, thought it was interesting that the whole situation with Jemmy and how he is able to crack the opal I'm trying to figure out what that says about this whole thing whether since opals they're not technically gemstones
1: right he said it's very very fractured and it has water trapped inside and that's what makes it have the reflective glow mm-hmm. and she said when water gets trapped inside of something that doesn't expand you know mm-hmm. that's a contained force it mm-hmm. adds pressure as it heats mm-hmm. the idea i think that's even more important is that it heats right. from jenny's energy and then as he thought about the heat because he doesn't make everything explode you know that mm-hmm. does it that has water in it but as he's holding the stone he's like wow, this is hot. Why is this getting hot? As he's thinking about that, that's just making more energy focused into this and it's making it get hotter until it eventually got so hot that it exploded because it put too much pressure inside that stone. Mm-hmm. So it's not a very good stone to travel with.
0: Eventually, apparently. Right, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, so there's gotta be better stone. It's evidently like a semi-precious stone. And
1: whether it's faceted makes yeah. a difference too. Like it's better if it's faceted.
0: Well, because it's got more surface area. Oh, was that faceted? It is well, I, that's what I assumed. Mm-hmm. If it's faceted, it has more surface area, so there's more of it exposed at once. Mm-hmm. Was kind of what I thought, but yeah, I just that whole situation I felt like warranted discussion because oh, it does says a lot about everything. It's another couple of those puzzle pieces that you gotta mm-hmm. stick away in the library for further discussion. Um, You've got
1: less a chance of dying if you have gemstones for sure because yeah. you think about it, they give off vibration. They help contain your energy that gets mm-hmm. dispersed and that helps you steer. It has its own vibration that you can harness that assist yours. Mm-hmm. That's what it the benefit of it is. Whereas precious metals, yeah. silver and gold, which you have next, mm-hmm. they lessen the pain And the harsh physical effects. When you come out and you're puking and you're like in pain, the silver and gold helps to damp that down and make it less painful. It's not so much like the safety aspect. It's just like the physical effects of it is less with the silver and gold. It helps to smooth that out a little bit. I
0: wonder what the justification for that is.
1: That I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) I just, I don't see, like, I feel like every time we touch on something,
1: it gives me like 20 more questions that I, have. yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, and see, that's what happened with Claire. She had her gold the first time, had silver and gold the second time. And when you see Galus do her little grimoire thing and reads from it, you know, we see it, Roger reading from it. She says, silver adorns my right and gold adorns my left, you know, as part of the little thing that she says. So apparently that kind of is two points. That helped her two hands are basically the extremities of her body. Mm -hmm. It's creating this little wall between them basically to help protect her. I don't really know how or the reasoning behind it. I thought you might be in a science girl. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I mean, I do know one of the biggest things about alchemy is trying to create gold, yeah. right? So there's got to be some elements that, like, with the natural elements of silver and gold offering some sort of healing powers in their natural... So maybe that's why. Maybe it helps to ward off some of that. And the comps extra. always
1: had gold with him because he was always bringing treasure back right? and forth to have as, like, a stash... To be able to have money whenever he wanted anywhere. But basically, in the process, he's he's carrying the gold with him, so it's helping him. (laughs) Is there something in a couple books about silver and gold maybe being able to substitute for gems? In the sense that they both help you physically, but one is more about absorbing the excess energy so that you don't die. And the other one is more smoothing the painful effects of it. So they kind of help your safety, but in different ways.
0: What determines where slash when you land?
1: The biggest thing that I wanted to touch on
0: was Buck and
1: Jerry and Roger. And that's part of my theory too. So my yeah. epiphany.
0: I tend to think, I mean, and I think that this is based off of what we've learned from the series so far that it's blood or a strong emotional connection that draws you to somebody. We've seen that thinking about that person and your mind's, draws you to that so that's why I think that the whole Buck, Jerry Roger hullabaloo that we get in seven and eight is very interesting to me especially when we're looking at the 1739 situation all three of them made it to this 1739 which really has no significance to them when you look at it individually and I commented this in your book club but I was like The whole Jerry and Roger both ending up in 1739 really made me wonder, like the whole chicken versus the egg, which came first. So was it Jerry thinking about Roger when he went through the stones slash ley lines and that's why Jerry ended up in 1739? Or was it Roger thinking about Jeremiah when he went through? And that's why he ended up in 1739. And I have a feeling that it was Roger being there first. Because Roger was thinking about Jeremiah, his son Jeremiah. And I think that intent would have been known. I don't know. It's very weird to me. So I can't wait to hear what you think about it. But that was the (laughs) biggest question Whenever I thought about, well, what the heck determines where you go? Mm-hmm. Because you've got Buck who ends up in the 20th century, and you can bet your yeah. ass he didn't know anybody in the or didn't think he knew That's anybody in the 20th century. Yeah, that century. that
1: part of it is interesting. I had one here, Buck McKenzie. I said he's the first person that we saw that went forward from his natural time by accident, besides Raymond being able to go where we saw him because that's what Comp was trying to do. He was trying to figure out how to go forward. And then at the end, he says to Raymond that he wants to go forward and Raymond says it's dangerous to do that because you don't know somebody forward. For him, it's not as dangerous because, you know, Raymond can see all the lights ahead. But there's also a danger that you don't have the same immunities. You could go forward and not have any built immunity to the things that the people here are immune to, mm-hmm. you know, and then just poof, die of disease because you're not ready for that because you haven't had that bread out of you and stuff. So there's a lot of things like that. And we've postulized that he was remembering something that maybe he realizes that things really kind of went downhill for them. Diana talks about the genetic connection being the strongest pull for time travelers. Now, we have Jerry McKenzie, and we have these genetic linkages. And we also noticed that the length of years mm-hmm. repositioned with travelers. So we see McEwen travels 102 years, the Macs are able to travel 40 years, Ottertooth travels 260 years, Galus travels 230 years, and Cotton Malone travels 262 years. So it really does vary how they're connected and how they travel. And I think a big variance is if you have a genetic connection in that time. Also, parallel lines are not always true between travelers, which we already talked about, because Jerry landed several years past, but the same time of year. So here is my theory and epiphany, which kind of combines a lot of things we discussed. That's why I kind of waited until the end. My theory epiphany of Jen, Roger, Buck, and Jerry, that stretch of genetic connection, Action. Chelsea, I have to thank for this epiphany. I was sitting back listening, following along with her comments as she was going through my movie study. And then I'd have to go back and listen to see what she was commenting on. As I'm listening back, and I'm hearing myself talking. my brain starts to sink into what my train of thought was. I've come up with another thing. She was at the part with Jem in the tunnel. And I was talking about on the study, the little genetic connections that we see with Jem in the way he handles himself in the tunnel to the other people in his genetic line. You know, all the way up. Different people. We were making these comparisons. The other males in his line. And I noted that you see Jem cursing. I had just talked about this in Leaf. And only because I was doing them simultaneously, I noticed noticed it. At the same time that we see Jerry landing in Leaf on the Wind of All Hollows, he's cursing and then he says maybe I should be praying and not cursing. And you saw Jem say the same exact thing. He was going crap, crap, crap. And then he said maybe I should be praying instead of cursing but I just don't feel like it, you know. And it was that almost made me immediately think of Jerry. And then it hit me because I started putting all this together. Diana is always talking about that particular instance of that whole situation that happens in Moby and Leaf in the Wind of All Hallows. Talks about how it really demonstrates the genetic aspect of the connection of the time travelers. And she talks about how Buck is closer to Jerry than he is to Jem. Roger is in the middle of Jerry and Jem. And she was making all of these connections of how they kind of form. So listening to the scene again in the tunnel, it hit me to add Jem into the equation. Because it's all about legacy, we have all four generations linked. Jem, Roger jerry and buck were travelers genetically straight line connected in this line that were in or connected to the vortex at the same time around sawween because if the tunnel line connects to the vortex but doesn't like send you in it you're still connected to that energy when jen was touching that stone it was likely around same time that roger and buck were traveling through the stone same time that Jerry's plane was being thrown into the vortex of the stone. And so all of those energies were around the same 12-day period, okay, between the two calendars. Their forces were impacting each other, touching the stone, touching those lines of vortex. And I think it created a genetic connection for that line to survive. If Jerry doesn't make it, we have no Roger, no Gem. If Buck doesn't go back, he never gets that connection made between Galus and (laughs) Dougal. Dougal. Okay, so it's required. required for them to go back in that time and connect that way to make that connection there to make jerry be able to go back and save baby roger okay all of that is connected to ensure that line's genetic survival Mm -hmm. you know which you know that's part of genetics too is like you adapt to survive like you're always looking to survive your species all four connecting the vortex energy Jem is traveling back In his plane Buck and Roger Are hitting the stones Jem is hitting the line In the tunnel And in the past On Sawin With a 13 day difference Jerry is also Coming back At Samhain In the past Because remember When they were Approaching the stones He said What time Oh it's all near Samhain And I'm like Wait a minute They traveled through Samhain But it's mm. 13 days later Sawween in that time Jerry's coming back At the right time To save Roger So all of that Works together And Jem sees himself Dead with his head Smashed on the track And that this he had was jerry dead on that track because that little connection that was just made Mm -hmm. will now ensure his life roger's not born jim's not born so when he looked down and he saw himself laying dead on the track and it was his face i think he's seeing what happened to his ancestor and that's allowing him to exist you also saw a severe impact on buck and roger when they came out because i think of all that excess energy happening. And when Jerry went back and Buck and Roger went far from the stone when they sent him back, they still felt the connection in a very unique way because of that same thing that I'm saying. The chapter called Postpartum just after Jerry leaves roger says the night shivered the whole night the ground and the lake the sky and the dark the stars and every particle of his own body he was scattered instantly everywhere and part of everything and part of them there was one moment of exultation too great for fear and then he vanished his last thought was no more than a faint I am. Voiced more in hope than in declaration, Roger came back to a blurred knowledge of himself flat on his back under a clear black sky whose brilliant stars seemed pinpoints now desperately far away. He missed them, missed being part of the night, missed with a brief rending sensation of desolation, the two men who had shared his soul through that blazing moment. You really get the sense of that. Mm -hmm. Like it's that additional power of the genetics that lend itself to that entire situation. And it was in order to ensure that line exists.
0: Gives a whole other meaning to Mobius twist.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I said, so it was their bloodline all genetically lined up in the electromagnetism of this in between that allowed that to happen.
0: The imagery of the train tracks mm-hmm. connected with the ley line and Jim having that vision. I'm almost picturing the ley line like a train track. It's almost like a slingshot. Jim was slung forward to see what happened to Jerry and then pulled back into his own body. Like, that's almost mm-hmm. how I picture mm-hmm. it when I was listening Or he had to like a, a little time, yes. like a little
1: bit of moto action. Yes,
0: right. <laughs> he like a little, it, you know? like he leapt forward or backward or however you want mm-hmm. to, like, yeah, just... That's a really good connection.
1: And also remember in the in the study I mentioned how the, the bringing up of the lightsaber mm-hmm. is a nod to the family idea because the idea is that the force is passed mm-hmm. between people. So it brings that to mind when you think of Star Wars. So I thought she did that as like a little yeah. cue.
0: I got a comment from Amy Joe Patience Williams. I know she was here earlier. I don't know if she's still here or not. She said, so I'm somewhat new to your podcast and I'm currently listening to the Ballad of Roger Mack right now. Like it so far. I've watched all the shows many times, but only on book two. And then she says, anyway, my thoughts on the time travel is that they contribute and kind of cause the history to be as we know it in the future. Like all the things they do doesn't really change history. It's part of the history we've learned about. Does this make sense? (laughs) For example, all the stuff Claire does to get Mary Hawkins to be with Blackjack instead of his brother Alex. If Claire had not got involved or even been in the past, Mary's life would have been different and Frank may not have existed. Claire was the reason Mary was raped. Claire sends Alex away thinking she's stopping the relationship, but in a way it makes it easier for them to keep meeting later on. Claire causes the history to happen as she knew it. She doesn't change anything because the history she knows is because of her actions. Hope this Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yep. Just my wild thoughts. That's what I think. It does totally make sense. Yep.
1: That's exactly how I think it happens too. Yes. And, and even you see her even saying it's a linear. You also see it with the skull thing because Claire has already done that. You know, she already has killed Galus with that axe. When she's feeling that skull and she feels she died of an axe wound and she feels like, you know, she was, didn't expect that to happen. And she had all these sensations touching the skull, which is also about the connection between time travelers and the draw. We saw that with Galus and Claire. They were drawn to each other naturally to be friends and to be close and wanting to know each other. And I think that's also with Naya Also, Malva was drawn to Claire. Yep. I think she is a time traveler, too. Or I uh, had the gene. Not that she actually right. time traveled, but had right. the gene. That was too. a
0: good way of putting it. But yeah, you're exactly right, Amy. As far as we know, that is 100% how it works. The only time that you really see with trying to change history, Diana has said you can't change something that is dependent on multiple people's decisions, like a battle or something like that. Like if you have the decisions of a 100 people that go into making this thing happen, you're not going to be able to impact that. But you can impact the th- that are within your sphere, like mm-hmm. you can control whether somebody plants potatoes or to right. survive a famine, that kind of stuff, but you can't control the bigger grand scheme historical things. And then that kind of ties into what I was saying earlier about how time travelers may have a smaller impact on something bigger in history and and particularly in times of violence and things like that
1: but i think that those things i believe they always had that impact. right that was always the case like it didn't change it it basically was always there even with the potato thing i believe they already planted the potatoes because she already had told them to do that you know but in yeah. doing that she did it because she was protecting them yeah. and wanted to make sure her people got through okay just like the people from lolly Brock that got through okay
0: I guess it just depends on, like, whose perspective you're looking at. Like, Mm -hmm. which lens you're using. If you're looking at it through Claire's lens on how she always knew that things happened, then, yeah, that's the future. Like, she's learning about the impact that she had already. Mm -hmm. But when you're looking at things through Jamie, who doesn't know the future... Mm-hmm. she changes things all the time by the people that she heals and, and things like that.
1: Think about this you had Frank who found all those things mm-hmm. in the past. He f- likely found all the different documentation of different things about that that they did or they were involved with. That was before she traveled back. Mm-hmm. But he knew it was going to be. So it's kind of like he saw what she was going to do mm-hmm. after she after she went right. back and breathed too.
0: I had a quote from the Outlandish Companion Diana says, the gaveled theory of time travel depends on this central postulate. A time traveler has free choice and individual power of action. However, he or she has no more power of action than is allowed by the traveler's personal circumstances. A necessary corollary to this postulate does not deal with time travel at all, but only with the observed nature of historical events. Most notable historical events, those affecting large numbers of people and thus likely to be recorded, are the result of the collective actions of many people. So long story short, yes, Amy, you're right. All right. I have Time Traveler's Guide next. Right, which
1: Um, we talked about a little bit, but I do want to just stress that when you read that, understand that everything that you're reading, that they're hypothesizing, isn't like, okay, these are the rules and it's set in stone. Mm -hmm. They're throwing things against the wall, seeing what sticks. Like originally, way, way back when, They thought it was only women until Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden Roger could hear it, you know, and that disproved it was only a woman that could travel because the stories it was always a woman, you know, and so therefore they thought that. But then it turned out, no, it's not that it's genetic. So it's like kind of always being revised, always Mm -hmm. being reformed. And then as they think things and then something disproves that they go, okay, that's not true. It's not always 200 years. It's not always going backward in time. So just know that read it and take it in conjunction with all the other evidence that you've actually seen what happened (laughs) and then combine their scientific thinking, what works, what doesn't work. You're basically supposed to be like spying it out and trying to figure it out with the travelers. She's not going to make it easy for you and just spell it all out. Like here's the rule, here's that (laughs) word. God
0: forbid she make it easy for us. So a lot of what I had with the time traveler's guide was just generally speaking about a lot of the things that we've already discussed today, whether that be the discussion that Brian Roger had in Bees about matter Mm -hmm. and how they physically travel through the stones, or a lot of the information that they've compiled from Galus' grimoire. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So basically, just in general stating the fact that they really don't have any firm grasp on what's happening. They only have their own experiences and the experiences of others to go off of and the physical evidence that's left behind, i.e. the Standing stones, the dead bodies—you know what they're experiencing as far as ley lines and what have you. So I do like the idea of the time traveler guide. Like I get that in a character way, like it makes sense to have a written record of things. Because they would have
1: liked that had some well, kind right. of guide to look at. You yeah. know, they figure, hey, you know, yeah.
0: And you think about, <laughs> about like what happens three generations from now, like five generations from now, when that knowledge is a lot of knowledge is lost if you just rely on oral transmission to have that down for posterity if nothing else like this is what we know although I do wonder what happened to the time traveler guide
1: there's a lot of things that are physical evidence that could be another whole show in itself is what are the physical elements that we see that are left behind like Brianna's paintings Mm -hmm. different things that could be found to indicate things did you want me to read this quote you have this next quote from Diana you can if you want to question was, if Galus went through the stones in 1968 for the first time, how is it that she was there before Claire? And Diana answers, we don't know yet everything there is to know about the intricacies of time travel. Though I imagine we'll find out more as Claire and Roger and Brianna put their heads together and compare experiences and make deductions. This was written before B, so she, that's what she's talking about. Remember that Gillian Edgers used a blood sacrifice when going through the door for the first time. It may have been that she was right about this giving her power and thus traveled farther, or the sacrifice may have been irrelevant, but some other factor was operating. So that was from the companion.
0: Whatever information you're getting, it's not any more reliable than the next person. Just because Galus mm-hmm. is saying that a blood sacrifice helped her through the stones doesn't make it true. Just as even Claire saying, well, I didn't go through with a stone, but I went through with a gold and silver ring. You know, like, We don't know 100%. Like you have to take everything with a grain of salt. And the only thing that's going to back up one thing happening is if they can replicate that over and over again or gather evidence that that thing has happened over and over again.
1: Right. Just to let you know, there was a history that you would have blood sacrifice because with the stones history back in the day, back in the whole Celtic, when they did brutal shit, they would put human sacrifices in cages at the stones to do a sacrifice for their crops and all that other crap when they would do different feast days, and so there was power in the blood of that sacrifice, and they would put them and they would set the cages on fire, like on Beltane, be the like the fire feast. You know, they would do all these different fires. They would have their cattle walk through two columns of fire to purify the cattle as they would walk through all these different stuff. So that was where she got the idea that somehow a blood sacrifice helps to power up the stones mm-hmm. because that was what was done right. all through history. So I don't know actually how that would be, but it did she did go further. Um Yeah,
0: that's what I was thinking. I was like it could very well be a valid option. Is it 100% necessary? Obviously not because we've no. seen a bunch of people travel without a blood sacrifice but did it potentially give her more control over where she went how
1: how for charge the energy that energy being expended because now that that person is dying at the spot of the stones there's a life force that's being released so Possibly. there could be that not necessarily blood but yeah, the yeah. life force from that blood being spilt you know what I mean basically it could
0: help hold their being together as they go through the stones like mm-hmm. much like the gemstones do or maybe the precious metals like the trace amounts of metals that you get in blood also helps to reduce the host effects of traveling like mm-hmm. we're theorizing that the, the gold and silver rings do yeah. so maybe there's there's something in that too there's a million different things that it could be uh-huh. or maybe it's just does help at all who knows
1: here's my theory this is another thing that's a theory because we saw that she had a grimoire back in outlander and she had a grimoire of the comps i believe that she knew that the comp was her ancestor i believe she did her own ancestry tracing found out that the comp was her ancestor thought oh this is for cool you know and got his grimoire learned from it and then when she went back she found him in france got to know him basically educated him that's where he got the education to make the grimoire you know what i mean it's from her and so basically that's why now she has that grimoire but she didn't tell anybody else all these freaking secrets right. but she educated him because it had to do with her own existence she knew that maybe and then she banged them too which is weird The whole freaking incest in this family is weird i know <laughs>
0: I mean, not that she had any control. Like, she didn't know who Buck was. But that whole situation with them and Moby freaked me out. Yeah. I was like...
1: I believe she knew that the comp is her ancestor and she still banged him, you know, and had an affair. You know, so, yeah. But we
0: see Galus has a very different interpretation of what she feels is.
1: She has no rules because she is her own god. Yeah. She wrote that or whatever. Right. I wanted to mention about the Mobius twist, which a Mobius twist in the books are if you do something in your life that ensures your own existence. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a Mobius twist. What came first a chicken egg thing, you know? So we see Roger saves himself at least twice, maybe three times if you count the connection with Dougal and Galus. That happens that they meet up because of them being there. So if you count that, that's three times. He also saves himself sending his father back and he saves himself when he saves Jenny on the ship. So Roger has basically Mobius twisted himself three times. <laughs> And that's
0: part of the reason, correct me if I'm wrong. That's part of the reason that the acro like what the shortened name for Moby is Moby, right? Because of all the Mobius twistiness oh, going on. Uh, I, no,
1: she explained it a different way, but that's good too. That, I like that, you know. Every
0: time I hear Mobius twist, that's what I think of. Oh Moby. But there are <laughs> is a shit ton of that stuff happening in Moby.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: I think more so than any of the other books is people fulfilling their own destiny basically like make ensuring their own existence mm-hmm.
1: that's one of the things behind the title mm-hmm. written in my own heart's blood right. is the whole idea of bloodline and the other thing I wanted to talk about is the non-simultaneousness which means you can't exist twice in the same lifetime like I said they haven't really put that out in the show but that's a thing they've already shown that we've seen that you know with Roger and different things they've figured out <laughs> and they're talking about Buck if he stays in the time period they left him in another couple years he's going to be born and then what happens to buck you know so he has to do something with himself hopefully they clued him in you can't stay here for too long they gave him that rule um diana says if a character tries to exist in a time in which he or she already existed the result should be disaster or displacement or both roger involuntarily tries to exist twice in the same time since he can't possibly do that the result is something like what happens If two atoms try to exist in the same space, an immediate explosion of force that drives them apart, in very simplified terms, this is what happens in a nuclear explosion. Had Roger not been wearing gemstones, which presumably absorbed and deflected some of the force, he would have undoubtedly been killed in that situation that happens when he went back after break. Right. We see there's a danger to traveling in the future, physical consequences danger as well, like with the heart thing and stuff like that, you have dangers in that regard and also the idea and this is another thing you don't really see talked about in the show the space between the vortex that experience that there's people trapped in there for lengths of time that can't get out they're like stuck we saw that kind of start to happen with roger and and then when they came back we learn about that in bees where they could have been one of those people that just can't get the hell out Mm -hmm. of this zone and we saw claire say that she knows there's people in there because she could hear the screaming you know when she was in the thing so i also think you could be in or longer like a day or two for all you know until you actually pop yeah. out you don't necessarily immediately pop I out mean, you know it's a suspension
0: um, of time so there's not mm-hmm. really anything definitively saying mm-hmm. oh yeah you're only in there for 30 seconds or whatever like time doesn't yeah. exist right. within the stones so you could be in there for god knows how long actually like within your own and it's I wonder, if,
1: the if space between—it's okay. the space between. <laughs> well, I
0: wonder if that has something to do with the adverse effects of time travel when we're seeing these like heart conditions and things develop. Like, does that have a direct correlation between how long you're stuck in there and? what happens
1: when it's very possible, the side. possible because we don't know what happened with buck right. how long he was in there and we know that that did happen with brianna she had just traveled well she did wait some time before she traveled again but still she came back and then forward so i mean it, it's dangerous
0: Well, and it's just interesting that like whenever you pair that with the conversation that she has with Roger later in in Bees, whenever she's discussing, you know, what happens to people and she's talking about heart conditions and things like that, like it just makes me wonder if that's somehow connected.
1: I personally think. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is just a random extra theory. I think the reason that Gayless ended up going further back than she would have normally gone Mm -hmm. is because you had Claire, Brie, and Roger there by the stones trying to call to her. She empathically pulled, you know, because you saw Claire completely thrown and wiped out. Remember that? And you saw that they were all sick. Like, she was pulling Roger back because Roger almost got pulled in Mm -hmm. because she is his direct descendant. See Mm -hmm. how the pull happens there? Like, she is his direct descendant so he felt that very badly when she went through you know yeah. it hit him really worse than anyone and then also claire she got thrown for it and was passed out the longest yeah. i think their genetic energy being nearby helped propel her okay. further that's what i think
0: very possible all right we've
1: concluded you? my. <laughs> i think we've uh, kicked this subject to the curve <laughs>
0: We're kicking Droughtlander the curbs. what's happening. And I will share this with you because I had this thought the other day. Speaking of Droughtlander, this is my theory. I have no behind-the-scenes information or unnamed sources. (laughs) This is just me. I'm thinking we're going to get the actual trailer for Season 7 on World Outlander Day. World Outlander Day. And then that would mean because I went back and I looked, because I'm a nerd like this. We've been getting the trailers six weeks before the premiere of the season. So that would put season seven's premiere mid-July.
1: I like it. Although That's I don't want to favorite. wait until World Outlander Day to get a trailer. I
0: know, but we'll get the credits before then. I think
1: we'll get the credits. We'll get the credits before then and maybe a scene. You know how they do that? They throw a scene up there. So they'll do that.
0: That's my thought. Mark me down. Mark me. Mark me. Happen. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> All righty, guys. Well, next week, like I said, I'm finally getting around to dropping the recorded version of my teaser trailer talk. And then two weeks from that is when I start my Men and Kill slash Clanlands extravaganza. So make sure to tune in for that.
1: Hopefully, you guys enjoyed this and maybe you wanted to had a couple new ideas thrown your way, right? Yes.
0: Hopefully, you enjoyed our musings and our sleuthing as we went through and dug through and found all-
1: also if anyone is interested i am doing one the outlander cast clan book club is where i do my book studies piece of things out That's you amazing.
0: know so the connections you make whenever you're like doing some of this stuff outside of your study and then you're like hmm.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's so funny it's almost like It's like a shaking up a bunch of things and then you drop like the, you know, like the little pickup sticks or whatever on the thing. And then you start to see things next to other things that you didn't see before because I'm doing like a few different things at the same time. So I start to line up things that I didn't really put together before because I didn't see them in close proximity. You know what I mean?
0: It's the sheet snuggles. snuggles. (laughs) (laughs) Count it on the hide and see what happens. And just like that, we have wrapped up the 100th episode of the Sassnack Files. I want to thank all of you so much for all of your support over the past 100 episodes. And I look forward to continuing the podcast for many years as we continue down the pipe with everything Outlander has to offer. I can't wait to hang out with you guys. And with all of that, you guys stay safe out there and look for my season seven teaser trailer episode coming soon.